Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Well, we're back. Stargate Archives, a new episode. And once again, we're going to be looking at the Richard Dean Anderson television series Legend from the mid-90s. Only the one season, and this is going to be episode 11, so we're nearing the end. Yep, it only got half a season at that. This week's episode is going to be Clueless in San Francisco. First aired July the 25th, 1995. Written by Carol Coldwell, who, along with Marianne Clarkson, wrote the screenplay. Directed by Charles Carell. He's worked on CSI, 90210, Melrose Place, MacGyver, and a couple of episodes of Stargate SG-1. Okay then, once again, thank you for joining me. We are nearing the end of our look at Legend. It's been fun. One more episode to go after this. Let's get on with it, shall we? Clueless in San Francisco. Check the bombardment level. I wouldn't want to go up in smoke. Well, that's an impressive opening shot. Nighttime, the professor's laboratory. The electrical tower is shooting out lightning bolts. Thunder. Sound effects are great. Music kicks in, very ominous. This is mad scientist weather. <laughs> and here's Bartok, standing on foot. That seems a bit unusual. Holding a couple of globes in each hand, as Ramos is behind him with some sort of elaborate machinery. It certainly looks like some sort of energy projecting device. Knowing the professor, it's going to be electricity. He does tend to play around with this sort of thing. And there we are. He's doing an experiment in the wireless transmission of electricity. I believe Tesla, back in the day, uh, looked at something very similar. How you can get electricity to devices without a physical connection. Of course, we have some modes of transport that use induction. Certainly going to be the future. You can't have the future of mankind relied on wires strung everywhere. It is a bit primitive, isn't it? Right then, it looks like the professor's ready. <laughs> Ramos is going to fire a... An energy stream at him, open the energy goes through his body and lights up these globes. That is not necessarily a great idea given what we know about electricity, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to kill the professor in the 11th episode. Let's see what happens. We will either revolutionize power transmission or burn me to a crisp. Oh, very nice. That is a very nice little CGI effect. And by CGI, I mean basically a visual effect back then. Lightning bolt strikes out, hits the professor in the back. He starts lightening up as electricity arcs across his body. The globes light up. You get a huge halo effect around him. Looks pretty spectacular. And at that point, the door to the lab opens up. And there's a woman outside who then runs off in panic. Yet, perhaps when you're doing these sort of experiments, you have some sort of warning sign. Health and safety and all that. Either way, they switch off the experiment and they go in pursuit. And they find her outside, cowering behind a wagon. She identifies herself and then... As for help from Nicodemus Legend. And we cut to a close-up of the sun. Another <laughs> quite spectacular shot. Charles, the director, is really going to town. The scene cuts to the Professor's compound as he's readying the balloon. And a bookboard arrives with Ernest on board and Skeeter at the reins. Who then charges him a dollar fifty for transport. Naturally, Ernest is a little put off about this because this is the hotel wagon and he's a hotel guest. But never mind. The young man's going into business for himself. Why not? Ernest notices that there's somebody's new on board and makes a comment that, uh, oh, there's a new employee. Of course, it's the young woman, 
patents. I approve. <laughs> As usual, Ernest kicks in suave mode when he realises it's a woman. He pauses a bit when it's mentioned that she's a wife. Although you could read it the other way that at the time he's holding her hand and if she's the wife of an engine chief, she's white. That would raise a few eyebrows back then. It'd probably raise a few eyebrows with some people now. I suppose you can take it either way. I choose to take it that Ernest is a little bit more cautious when it comes to married women. <laughs> Anyhow, this is when the professor tells him that they're going to San Francisco, which isn't what Ernest has planned because this is his vacation. He was hoping to go to Chicago, fine dining, lots of women. <laughs> oh, well, it looks, looks like Ernest isn't going to get his way. Because, yep, this story is going to San Francisco, Ernest. Hang on to it. Well, it takes some doing, but Professor finally uh, convinces Ernest to go along with the plan. At the very least, listen to Peyton's story. Could be a book in there for him. And if he doesn't like it, then Peyton can go on to San Francisco via Denver, and the Professor and Ernest can go on to Chicago. At this point, Ernest talks with Peyton. Has a good look at her. Peyton is played by Molly Hagen. She was quite young when this was filmed, so you'll have seen her more recently in iZombie, Jane the Virgin, and The Orville. Uh, still going strong. I get the impression that Ernest is maybe a little smitten. She isn't what he expected. Either way, ropes are released and the balloon rises and starts its journey to Denver. And onwards to San Francisco. Because, yeah, he's going to San Francisco. We all know that. <laughs> and cue the theme music. We return from the opening credits to Ernest and Patent coming into the San Francisco via the ferry, surrounded by a bunch of newsmen. The pictures are being taken, not quite paparazzi, but pretty much so. Obviously, Ernest is quite a big deal. This is his hometown, obviously. His mother lives here, so we're going to meet Ernest's mother. That would be interesting. I wonder, though, I get the impression at this point that Ernest is better known in San Francisco than Nicodemus is, even though they know he's a writer. I wonder if he's kind of the black sheep of the family. He's from money. Hmm, curious. Anyhow, he uh, talks to the journalist, tells them that they're looking for Patence's family. They make some very common remarks about her heritage and who or what they would call her, a white woman living with an Indian tribe. He's doing his best. He's trying to get people to treat her fairly, nicely, respectfully. Now we get a view of a street, lots of Chinese lanterns about. Doesn't look like Chinatown, but I suppose it could be an early representation of it. We focus on a saloon, a man inside, tall, dark, scars, tattoos, ominous music in the background. <laughs> this must be the bad guy. Let's see what he's up to. As he walks into a back office where a man named Chai is standing, played by James Hong. Very, very familiar face in the TV and movie industry. He starred in Big Trouble in Little China voiced many characters in Kung Fu Panda, also in Blade Runner a few years back as well. Huge resume, very familiar face. You will recognise him. You may not know his name, but you have seen something he's been in. Either way, this guy, he hasn't been identified yet, has to buy out all of Ernest Pratt's markers. So he owes money to Chai. He won't say why, but a big wadge of $100 bills are thrown on the table, and the deal is done. This doesn't bode well. And it's strange that Ernest hasn't paid his debts. He's earning good money. Think that's the first thing he'd do. I want to buy Ernest Pratt's markers. All of them. Pratt's? <laughs> what do you want them for? 
You don't need to know. Hmm, curious. We then see a small stage, and there's a woman and a man inside, and this mysterious stranger walks up and hands over the paperwork. In return, he's given a big lump of cash, and... Oh, that's interesting. You know, I wonder if that's his mother. <laughs> I wonder if that's Ernest's mother. Finally deciding that her son's in town, so she's clearing up his mess. Like mothers often do. Curious and curious, sir. Well, here we are. The carriage pulls up in front of Ernest's family home. <laughs> There's a very interesting looking cat sitting on the porch watching him. He mentions that his, his mother tends to hold court a little. Uh, she likes not patronising, patronising. Kind of got the wrong connotation to it. She encourages the art, so she often has creative types over. I wonder if this is where Ernest kind of got his start in literature. Either way, he knocks on the door and a maid opens it. Ernest, is that really you? Zereldo, will you marry me? I'm sorry, young man, but you take up entirely too much room. And she's introduced as Zolanda Toombs, played by Patty Maloney. Now, the name I wouldn't have recognised, but I've certainly seen her in some other work. And of course, she's diminutive. She played <laughs> Twiki in Book Rogers, the uh, short robot that was voiced by Mel Blanc. She also starred in The Little Rascals back in the 30s, made an appearance on Voyager as well. There seems to be a lot of love there. She's uh, embraced by Ernest, definitely friendship there. More than a member of the family. She's too pretty to be a member of the, of the Pratt family, he says. May have been the mother that his mother wasn't, if you get my drift. Ernest finds out that there are a lot of visitors at the moment. Very uh, eclectic mix. Braces himself and goes into the foyer. Ah yes, very eclectic mix at that. We see a woman in the corner having a portrait painted. This has got to be Ernest's mother, and it is not the woman in the carriage, so I was, I was way off base there. She is delighted to see him. This is not the character I thought. I thought we were going to get somebody that's very uh, strong, very domineering. This seems to be a lovely woman. Delia Pratt is played by Janice Page. In her time, she's been in Santa Barbara, Trapper John, and in Fantasy Island. Another long resume from a, an accomplished working actor in Hollywood. And she's introduced to patents, and she pauses, and you wonder what's going on here. And then she comes out speaking Blackfoot, or whatever the proper term is. I apologise for that, I have no idea. Either way, patents is delighted. This is the way you welcome somebody into your home. She starts talking as well. That's when Ernest's mother apologises. She only knows those two sentences. But it is the thought that counts. We also learn that Patence is pregnant with her first child. This is what has provoked the search for her family, at least the white side of her family line. And all she has really is a ring that she had got from her mother. An Irish wedding band with some sort of engraving on it. And it's at this point that the professor walks up to them. Ernest begins the introduction and his mother slaps her hand over his mouth. And this is where I pause the video, because I think this is, uh, this could be interesting. This is not a word. Oh, even before you entered the room, I sensed the aura of this distinguished gentleman. The dashing figure, the black eyes flashing Magyar mischief. Oh, yes. 
Mrs. Pratt is definitely taken with the professor. Ernest has us written to her, but <laughs> his description does not do the man justice. She sensed him when he walked in, the aura of mischief and greatness and intelligence. She doesn't speak Hungarian, but she has a theory that <laughs> Hungarians are from a different world because they're so adept at science and technology and their language is so complex. The professor, I don't think, can really take all this in. Especially when he's told one of her guests also believes that there is a race of cyclops, mutants living below the earth. <laughs> this may be going beyond the realms of science the professor is comfortable with. Although, you know, if, maybe if Mrs. Pratt was a little bit younger and the professor a little bit older, there's a budding romance here. <laughs> what cool that will be. I don't think Ernest could cope. At this point, Zerelda uh, runs into the room with a telegram for Ernest. The plot thickens. And the message reads that Ernest has to meet somebody in an alley. Come alone. Well, I applaud him for throwing caution to the wind, but that's exactly what he does, leaving the professor and his mother to talk electricity. We cut to, well, early evening, the alley. This is a mistake. This is not going to be, go well for Ernest. We follow Ernest as he walks through the back alleys of San Francisco. He realises that he's being followed, grabs the man. It turns out to be one of the reporters who's looking for a story. Ernest isn't very happy. He's thought for a second that he was the one that sent the note, but nope, he was just following him. He basically tells him he's not going to help him and he carries on. It's at this point that he turns another corner and somebody hits him with a two before and Ernest goes down, clutching his head. Not the safest way to incapacitate somebody. That is a pretty violent strike to the noggin. It could easily have killed him. We fade to black and return to the glow of a lantern. As the camera comes into focus, we see a room and there is Ernest, watched over by the man from the carriage who's enjoying a glass of red wine. Well, this gentleman seems very civilised, very professional. This wasn't personal, his employer, who's bought all the debts owned by Ernest, is willing to destroy them, tear them up, in return for one simple thing. Ernest and patients leave San Francisco that night. If he doesn't, then proceedings will begin to call in the debts, and since his mother put Ernest's name on the deed of her house, she will lose her house. Because while Ernest has some resources, he hasn't got the ready cash to pay off these debts. Ernest naturally isn't impressed. Not only you've got to fear him, you've got to fear his mother. It's at this point that he gets hit from behind again. So he's been knocked unconscious twice within the space of hours. In modern times, you will be spending a couple of nights in hospital just to make sure you're not going to die in your sleep. But I like this bad guy. Although he isn't the bad guy as such, he's the bad guy's proxy. But he's a good un at it. <laughs> I assume this is Andre, played by Dennis Berkeley. Let's see. He was in My Name is Earl, but also done a lot of voice work, which I can believe because he has got a great voice. He was in King of the Hill, multiple characters. Right then, Ernest is unconscious on the floor. The, uh, the man with the tattoos and scars on his face is told to get rid of the body. Get rid of the Ernest. Isn't dead, of course. And given an important part of the plot, somebody doesn't want patents in San Francisco. Who her family is are important. Right, we're back at his mother's house. She's having a seance to find some information on the ring. 
She tells the story of when uh, the last of a seance and they brought forth the spirit of Julius Caesar. Unfortunately, he only spoke Latin, so they couldn't understand him. <laughs> nice touch. The ring is the focus of everybody's concentration. I'm not sure the professor is 100% on board with this, but uh, I'm sure we're going to see something. Let's find out, shall we? And at this point, this is when Ernest stumbles through the door, falls to the floor, covered in blood. Kind of puts a dampener on the seance, unless she's a ghost, of course, but I don't think so. Yeah, the, for an episode that didn't look like it was going to be particularly nasty or violent, has turned such. There's money involved, isn't there? There's a lot of money involved in this. And that's when people start doing nasty things to each other. Patents is administering first aid to Ernest. The professor and his mother is there. They have a nice conversation. Much boils down to family and protecting one's own. Yep, it's clear that Ernest and his mother very, very close. I thought it was going to be a little bit of animosity eventually evolving into uh, love and affection, but nope, Ernest didn't, <laughs> didn't run away to the circus every other day and fly without a wire, without a net, for the hell of it, or to cause trouble with his family. It's just the way he is. He takes after his mother. Anyhow, uh, the professor and Ernest are off to see a man about some markers. Mrs. Pratt is going to look into high-end society, because who else has got that sort of resources to buy thousands of dollars worth of markers and threaten people just to get somebody out of town. We cut to the uh, the gambling house, the casino once again, where Mr. Jai uh, resides. Obviously the first port of call in chasing down who bought the markers. Mr. Chai and Ernest have a frank exchange of opinions. Finally convinces him to give him a name. Chai doesn't actually know the name, but points him in the direction of the tattooed man who owns a store on the high street. Then points out that perhaps he should go home. Of course, we're thinking that he means go home to uh, Sheridan, but no. Go home to his mother's, because they know where she lives, and they know where Patence is. And so the two men rush home and find that somebody has been there, broke down the door beat up a number of people and snatch the girl. Fade to black. Here we are in the high street. We see the tattoo man leave his doorfront. The professor is hanging, loitering around. He approaches him. They have that immensely funny... Oh, this way, sir. You was, we're not quite sure which way you should go. Left, right, right, left. And he uses his distraction to slip a disc into the tattoo man's pocket. It's a tracking device. <laughs> uh, I love it. Ernest, to aid him in the tracking, has to put on this huge backpack, though. This is the only problem with a lot of the professor's inventions. They do tend to be on the big side. Anyway, they're now able to track the man, hopefully to the destination where patents is being kept, and to find out who is behind this dastardly deed. And just to add another twist, we see that somebody is watching Ernest and the professor. Now, from the look of it, it looks like an Indian. A lot of hair wonder if this is Patence's husband. It would make some sense. I wouldn't have thought he would be delighted about his wife going into San Francisco, especially the way that some women who have been within tribes for many years are treated. We've seen it many times. It's almost as if they are, they are guilty despite not having a hand in why they ended up where they were. Anyway, we're back to a little levity. Ernest and the Professor are on a tandem, <laughs> going through the hills of San Francisco. That's a nice touch. 
the fact that this isn't like Sheridan, just one flat plain where the town sits. A lot of narrow streets, a lot of uh, hills and bumps. They thought about this, it, it makes a lot of sense. The tattooed man is no fool though, he realises he's being tailed. He evades them uh, as the professor makes the wrong call and sends Ernest down the wrong street. Their tail has already broken off, whether or not he's got an idea where they're going, or he's just tracking the tattooed man himself. Lots of twinky twonky music, a few anom anomalies, anomalies, a lot of, uh, yes, cast iron uh, railings about. They look a little out of place for San Francisco at this point. Some are painted silver, some are painted red. Kind of drew me out there. Don't know why that should bother me, but it kind of does. The toon man finally gets to his destination, enters into a dark room where Andre is sitting there once again, uh, enjoying his repast. We must be getting close to uh, the reveal of who's the brain behind all this. We see that Patence is tied up in the corner, and the tattoo man tells Andre that he has been followed. I think uh, they expected this. It's at this point that the Professor and Ernest arrive outside the building. They don their weapons, the tasers, and they break in. Surprise, or we assume they surprise the two men. He uses the taser on the tattooed man, he goes flying. Andre whistles and a couple of guys fall from the rafters. Martial artist punches, kicks are delivered. Ernest rolls, fires a couple of times, takes them out of the equation. Andre pulls a gun and then he's hit by an arrow in the chest. Camera pans around and sees a large man in the shadows. He comes into the light. A Native American bow and arrow at the ready, purposely striding towards Patents. He removes the gag and she introduces Rain Pony, her husband. Unfortunately, Andre dies before he can reveal who his employer is. He may never have done, anyway. Ernest searches him and finds an envelope with a lot of cash inside, and on the envelope, a stamp. The same design of the ring that Patents wears. Family emblem, perhaps. It looks like this is definitely about who she is. If we weren't sure before, we're definitely sure now. But we've got a clue, so we're onward. Ever onward. Witnesses said they heard strange oriental screaming and loud electrical explosions coming from a warehouse. Rain Pony is played by John Proudstar. Uncredited for this episode, but he's been in quite a bit. Looking through his resume, Alvida's Aim Pet, which was an English series, Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, Geronimo, a TV movie, Horse Opera, another TV movie, The Young Riders, a TV series, Billy the Kid. He's also a writer and a director. We've got a couple of shows in post-production at the moment. Like, uh, <laughs> who hasn't though? <laughs> how, many, how many people have got projects that should have been released this year, which aren't going to see the light of day till probably next year? Anyhow, we're back at Delilah's home. She's done her research, and so has Zerelda. They have identified a Melissa Walsh as probably being the person they're looking for. Her family moved to San Francisco roughly about the time that Peyton's family arrived. They are very rich, they're very wealthy, she's the sole heir to the family fortune. Unless there's a blood relative, of course. Ah. <laughs> yep, I think we're seeing it. I think they've nailed down the plot. We know who the bad guy is, it's only a question of uh, facing them down. But they're in luck. No need to break into the house. She is hosting a mask ball. 
That's going to be fun, isn't it? <laughs> the professor also has a brainwave. Since Mrs. Walsh is keen on hosting seances as well, why not create one of their own? I always knew that Professor, you know, was very mischievous at heart. He doesn't mind scamming somebody with signs if it serves a good cause. We cut to a night scene. Carriages approaching a rather large and ornate house. The home of Mrs. Walsh. Mrs. O'Hara then introduces herself with a plus one, which is the Professor, as well as bringing in Ernest and Delilah and pretty much everybody that is normally resident at Delilah's home. Good evening. Is it Mrs. O'Hara? Uh, yes, a pleasure to be here. The invitation did say that you could bring a guest. And but... here he is, Dr. Janos Bartok. So they've successfully infiltrated the fortress of the bad guy and the professor can prepare his seance, which is going to focus on Peyton's mother. Her memories, her experiences aid in the con of <laughs> the bad guy and as we see melissa walsh played by debbie bartolt is indeed the woman in the carriage who was talking to andre so we know she's the bad guy we've got a good idea of why now we've just got to see the plan play out and for the good guys to win i feel the presence of many an active spirit in this room you do it's a good thing i've come in time what you are in the need of is a good psychic purging the professor lays on the charm, and it's obvious that Mrs. Walsh is rather taken by him. Meanwhile, this allows Ernest to go exploring while munching on a bunch of grapes. Ernest is having a good search around. Doesn't seem to be anybody in the upper floors. Lots of locked rooms, lots of shadows. Not quite sure what he's looking for. I don't wonder if he knows. Meanwhile, though, at the seance, Everything's going full swing. The professor is hamming it up big time. He is, with the aid of his companions, out to fall Mrs. Walsh. They've got him in a circle, all holding hands, but as we see, the professor has got a fake hand so he can manipulate his electrical devices, including one that levitates a bell in midair. Everybody is shocked, surprised. Even, even some of the people that rin on it may not know exactly how he's doing this. They know it's fake, but they don't know how. So thus, it's magic. Then we're back to Ernest, once again searching. He sees a partly open door, lit from within, and he enters. It looks like a master bedroom. We see a number of photographs on the vanity. No doubt, they're going to tell a story. Otherwise, I really don't know what he's looking for. Do you like family pictures, young man? Oh, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was at the party downstairs, and I got lost looking for the bathroom. My family... This is the last picture of them taken before we went west. Oh, no. This isn't the master bedroom of Mrs. Walsh. This is the bedroom of an older woman who's very much alive and well. This is going to be the mother, isn't it? This is the grandmother. And if I understand rightly, this is the woman that Bartok is having a seance to talk to. Oh, dear. <laughs> Ah, uh, nice, nice. I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't sure what they were planning to look for. I assumed the mother was dead, since Mrs. Walsh seemed to be the matriarch of whatever the family is. But of course, it begged the question, why is she going to this much trouble? If she is the sole beneficiary, the only here, she doesn't have children of her own, or at least we're not, we're not let into the fact that she's got her own children who can inherit. What's the point of holding on to all this money? Maybe she's just greedy. Maybe she doesn't want to know. Ah, interesting. 
Anyway, Ernest is with Mrs. Walsh, Grandma Walsh, and we get told the story. Many of the family came round by boat, other members of the family went by wagon train. This is patent story. At the seance, the professor and Zerelda are laying it on thick, working their way into Mrs. Walsh's paranoia, asking the questions of why she's being unkind. At some point, she's going to realise that something is not quite right about this. We keep alternating between the bedroom and the seance. We learn once again that Patience was lost to the Indians along with the rest of her family. Patience, Patience, why not? A young girl, not quite sure how she pronounces her own name, calls herself Patience. And that's what the Indians who found her continued to call her. Obviously, they may have believed that the family were massacred rather than maybe just, you know, the environment, the weather, for all the uh, settlers, the people on the wagon trains that died through exposure. Many were murdered, many were killed, but natural elements took their share as well. But it's all going to work out. Ernest has seen the ring on Grandma Welsh's finger. It's identical to the one that Patents wears. All the girls, all the female members of the Welsh family had these rings. It's going to be a good day for Grandma Welsh. Not so much for her daughter. And it's at this point that the Professor's plan kind of gets derailed as his, his electrical device shorts out. <laughs> you do kind of give it away when you excuse yourself for a moment and disappear under the table and voices are heard. <laughs> why'd it go wrong <laughs> Melissa figures it out she's rather annoyed lights bring the lights this is a sham the whole thing is a sham throw this Hungarian charlatan out into the street get them out calls on the servants to throw other people out and it's this point that Grandma Walsh enters the room and starts to lay down the law Grandma Walsh sees Peyton sitting there, their eyes meet, huge smile on her face. You're the spitting image of your mother, they hug, you're home. Happy ending. Next day we see Delilah Pratt at home. Hopefully it don't look like she's lost her house. <laughs> uh, she's with Ernest. Yeah, just a point that Nicodemus Legend hasn't, hasn't really played much part in this episode. That's unusual for this show. This has been an Ernest episode. She's looking at the legal papers, seeing how this is all going to work out. And it is going to work out. No worries about that. It turns out that Patents and Rain Pony uh, have had enough of uh, the civilised world and returned to their tribe. I think all along, Patents had no intention of entering Western civilization. She just wanted to find out her family. However, the inheritance to her child is going to be protected. If he or she should want to return to San Francisco and make a claim, it'll be there waiting for him. And that leaves Ernest and his mother very proud of him. Loving couple, a wayward son maybe, but she loves him and he loves her. And a nice touch that she says, you're becoming more like that character you write. Which Ernest objects to, but she points out, you couldn't have written him without knowing him very, very well. Ernest Pratt for all the womanising, for all the, and not cowardice outright, but self-interest he portrays. He wouldn't be the man he was if Nicodemus wasn't part of him. As we've seen in this the number of episodes, the last 11 episodes, he throws himself into the fire to save innocence, to protect people. He is the hero. Granted, it takes the professor to push him and nudge him along that path, but he normally gets there in the end, and his mother knows that. And the Professor and Ernest 
get on board a wagon or a carriage and ride off as the picture fades to black and the credits roll. I love you, Mom. Love you. And that was Legend Clueless in San Francisco. I enjoyed that episode. It wasn't what I was expecting, but uh, I think the writers really got their teeth into it. Gave us something a little bit different. Not so campy, not so tongue-in-cheek, but a pretty darn good story. Surprisingly, uh, the writer, or at least Carol Coldwell, who came up with this story, this was her only credit, <laughs> if this was it. She did well. Excellent. Janice Page was fantastic as Delilah Pratt. Probably not the mother I was expecting, but the mother I deserved. Molly Hagan, excellent as patents. Again, she's still very busy in the TV industry. And of course, James Hong, another cracking actor. Right, so, we've only got one more episode of Legend to actually look at. That will probably turn up in about a month or so, given my schedule for releasing content on the Stargate archives. I am really going to have to make a conscious decision to record more content. Just one of those things where, while half the world seems to have so much time in their hands, podcasts, YouTube channels, Zoom interviews are everywhere you look. I've actually not been recording much at all. That's probably one of the drawbacks of actually working right through this year and not having any extra time on your hands. Never mind though. As I said, the next episode is going to be another Legend episode and that will wrap up this segment of the Stargate Archives. If you want to check us out, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, of course, Google Music, or as it's going to be known, YouTube Music. You can also find us on Tumblr and on Facebook. Do a search for Gatecast or General Stargate, we should turn up. And of course, we're also listed on TuneIn as well. Uh, we've only been on there maybe a month or so, but we're getting some listeners. It all adds up. Ah, Stitcher as well, don't forget about that. Or you can manually add us to uh, a podcatcher using our RSS feed. Same for the Gatecast as well. If you want to join me on the podcast, and I probably will need some guests in the following uh, few months when I start to record in seriously, please get in touch. The usual methods, stargatearchives.com, stargatearchives at gmail.com, Facebook, as I said, Twitter, at the Gatecast, which is our primary social media portal. That gets first dibs on all the new content, as well as most of our feedback. I spend more time on Twitter than other platforms. Not always a great thing. Twitter really does need to be uh, reined in a little. It's kind of a wild west out there. For every good post, there's a bad post. But that's what we get these days. Anyhow, thank you for listening to the show. Hope you join me next time. Until then, I've been Mike. Take care. Bye-bye.